Never prep. The buttons press. We never. We never prep. No prep. No organization. No outline. Just riffing. No script. No. No hope. Somebody asked no me the fear. other day. They were like, um, "It was a, somebody who's been on the show, and I'm, I'm going to be on their show." And they were like, you don't do much post, do you? I'm like, I can't. I just don't have the time. And I'm not clever enough for post. Uh, I, after like post the, or posting? Post-production. post-production. You do post-production on your other shit. I, I, I throw in I throw in like a, uh, a scene at the beginning, some music. Uh, and I, I, I sift through it and take out ums and pauses. But that's it. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty much unfiltered. I mean, it's um, much, um, um, I think that um, <laughs> doing a lot of post. Well, I'm not doing that. Um, I think do. Uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts here. Um, I think that doing a lot of post production on podcasts is a waste of time. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think that's. I think that represents a misunderstanding of the medium. Although it depends on what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you're doing something that's narrative, if you're yeah. doing a serial type thing, okay, that's one thing, and you want to really produce it and polish it and create something quasi cinematic or whatever yeah yeah that's a, that's one there's thing. some intent but if it's just about people having a conversation i think doing a lot of posts on it is um, no, is uh pearls before swine yeah i'm uh i'm i'm pretty good at conversation i'm okay you're better you're better oh at it. don't make me blush <laughs> it's not a visual medium Tom. but uh i i, I feel like, like i can hold you. my own i feel like i can hold my own in a conversation i i and i'm also a pretty good guest when people have me on if they if they feel you know oh, yeah. give me questions or prompt me yeah i do you my do your homework. homework i I guess all I'm saying is that this is, you know, we've talked about this before. Podcasting is a parasocial medium. The reason people listen to podcasts generally is because they want to hang out with people that they like. When they hang out with them, they listen. They're, yeah. they're a fly on the wall in a conversation that they enjoy. Uh, like I said, there are narrative podcasts that are doing a different kind of a oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's, they exist. But, but the vast majority of podcasts are this kind of a thing in part because it's easier right we sit down we record whatever blah 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 blah. even if we did a little bit of editing it wouldn't make that much of a difference no 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 whereas those other ones take time and effort you got to do research you got to go places you got to interview people you gotta you gotta take your time although you know there's some some of the podcasts i like have been kind of venturing into other territory venturing into that territory uh matt chrisman uh just did a podcast with the producer of Chapo Trap House about the Thirty Years War that is quite good. Oh, and that's actually, more, I would be interested in that. Yeah. And that's more. I mean, it's still a lot of them talking back and forth, but they use some cool music. Chris Wade is the producer, and they they do it together. They do some cool music. It's clear that they've spent more time preparing it. It's not just riffing on the news of the day. So I I can see the appeal of stuff like that. But I mean, in terms of this, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, thoughts well, on podcasting. That's what you come here for. Yeah, exactly. A little meta analysis of <laughs> of ourselves, of the, uh, our oeuvre, our oeuvre <laughs> of podcasting. You know, I I don't delve too much into the world of podcasting, um, and I should, I should, I should go. I mean, you I, should, you should if you want. Is there, well, is that, there, there are some. It's not like it's not like eating fiber. I don't think I would delve into movie podcasts. Although uh, Katie has caught me, I I sometimes hate listen to some pot like movie podcasts, Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. which is it's not good. I know I recognize it's not good. I should be engaging in in podcasts on history and uh, culture, politics, because I I am interested in those things. I think it would give me a lot of context and other information to assess movies in a better way yeah. you know and so i i should just be doing that um it, it's just hard it's it's hard to find the time uh especially when i'm 
constantly watching movies constantly yeah i mean yeah, I, I, I don't know it's fine podcasts are fine it's all fine yeah. no, no it's, it's what you it's like it's whatever you like for sure so uh, we're here to talk about a movie today and well, i'm just jealous because you already saw that our next week movie the dungeons and dragons movie i did uh you can't say anything about it i, I gotta won't. go into it tabula rasa you do because yeah, I, can't, I won't say a thing I've, i mean i've seen the trailer for it Every time I go to the movies, mm-hmm. every time I go to the movies, which is um, they play the trailer. Which is a, it's, it's odd. It's a detriment actually to uh, a lot of movies. Yeah, to see the trailer. Seeing constantly. the trailer over and over again does does nothing for you, and it makes me think the movie's bad because I feel like when I see a trailer for a movie, it's like when I used to see a movie. You know, we don't really watch TV with ads anymore. No, but. There used to be times when you would watch and you'd just see the same 30-second spot over and over again. And that was my that was always a tell that this movie's going to be no good. <laughs> like, they're trying to buy their way out of having a bad movie by just showing me the ad over and over and over again. Uh, and obviously, sometimes the movies are good, sometimes they're not. But uh, it makes me think it's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, does, it creates in that in me that um, anticipation. I'll give you, a little, I'll give you a little hope. Uh, the critic sphere is very positive towards it. Well, I mean, this mo- I, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was a young oh, person. Oh, sure, yeah. So this movie is, and I mean, I can tell from already from the trailer that they're trying to do. I hate to say fan service because I hate fan service, but they clearly uh, care about the idea of Dungeons and Dragons and want it to feel yes like something as though as though it, you're on the board. You're you the characters have been have given their backstory. They're informed by history and the the adventures that are happening. Uh, you almost feel like they are rolling the dice. Well, you're going to see the spell. You're going to go, oh, I know that spell. Yes. I've cast that yes. spell before. So I get that. That's fun. I'm going to go see the movie, obviously. Yes. Um, but we're not here to talk about that we're movie. Not. We're not here. We're here to talk about the fourth chapter, the longest chapter of the John Wick The longest franchise. yard. The John Wick 4, the longest yard. Where he's in prison. Uh, they're playing baseball this time. It's <laughs> pretty weird. Cricket. They're playing cricket. cricket. Americans <laughs> playing cricket. It's very strange. At first, they don't understand it. They never really understand it. I could see nobody John understands. Wick be like, yeah, I know cricket. Like, <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> Instead of a duel, it's, <laughs> they have to John Wick who speaks every language ever spoken on Earth. In, in the same dreary monosyllable sort of way but well, yeah. what, it would be weird if it wasn't yeah, it's true what if he got really colorful in one language yeah like really poetic like once he get once he gets into cantonese he gets really he gets really hyped up that's the only language that he really gets super expressive I'm, in. i mean it re- like if if he is in like if he's speaking spanish it's it's it, it boils down to see yeah. i know, <laughs> you know? So, so you describe yourself on our last episode I did. As a as a John Wickophile. I am. A John you said that this is and you said something interesting that I'm gonna get into later yeah. about how maybe Shazam is some people's thing and John Wick is your thing. Yeah. So what we're gonna I'm I think there's some some gold to be mined in that statement because I think that that's an interesting statement. But you are a self professed Wickophile. Yeah. I love it. So you're so you are our Wikipedia. Uh I might not know all I mean, I recently watched the previous three with Katie. Uh, you know, chapter uh, John Wick, John Wick, chapter two, well, Parabellum. That, but and, I feel like that's what there is to know about it. Is yes, the movie? It's just to watch them because I mean, but the world building, the details are what I like about it. I I think the the world is a very interesting one. It it's striking in a kind of embodiment of a graphic novel, uh, anime. I mean, uh, the action is is 
of a grit of realism, but it has the heightened uh, kind of performance of like an anime. I mean, it is, it's exaggerated. It feels grand and they put so much effort and detail and work into it. You can tell with, and, and not all the time is it as, as effective or as smooth. Like sometimes you'll see a guy just stop so that uh, Keanu Reeves can just like pummel him. Like in the sometimes next you'll kind see of, a whole club of people just keep dancing that, as people get slaughtered. But the, <laughs> it's those kind of things that that it it that strikes me as funny because like in the first one nobody really reacts to all the action that's going on. It it's it's a world a fatalistic noir driven world where violence is pretty evident around. Like clearly there's just a a swath of hitmen hiding everywhere you know the homeless population is not homeless like they or they are but they they are a intricate unit i like these details i think it's fun it's silly it's it's obviously silly i think they know it's silly and they lean into it and so this heightened tone of a self-awareness is what really breathes a lot of life into it so i've enjoyed the john wick series thoroughly because it knows itself and that that's really that's really important so, so okay so you give us what, what how, how did you feel about john wick for take, take us through your feelings i talk about your feelings, personally Kyle. think it's the best of the series okay i say more say more yes uh it's a lot it's a lot i mean it's a three-hour excursion but i think it's piecemealed quite effectively in chapters you have uh the the Okinawa chapter that is essentially like an hour long. Osaka. Osaka. Sorry. I was thinking of the island. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Anyone could have made that mistake. I was thinking but of we, the island. They were in we, the, we've talked about the... They were in the, the, the second largest city in Japan. Yeah, we went, we went to... When we went to Japan, we talked about going to the aquarium in Okinawa. And so that's that's why. Okinawa, apparently very beautiful. Yeah. Very beautiful. Apparently uh, an, an insane plane ride, even from... When you're injured, very, far, very, it's very far, far, very far away. the the last The last vestige of Japanese sort of uh, hyper expansion yeah. in the early twentieth uh, century. That's right. Well, Osaka, and you have Osaka, and and it and the details in that that are emerged in that with uh, you know you you get some new characters. Uh, not only do you get in in this opening, you get the, a new villain. You get the Marquez de Marquis, uh, played by Bill Scar- Skarsgård, who I actually really enjoyed. Oh, great! Very, very villainous. Very, very villainous. effectively villainous, and also uh, we may have to consult Thurlene on this friend of the show, Thurlene, but quite excellently costumed. I definitely wanted some of those suits. He has got flair, and for his, days. his ties and his tie tying was really next level as well. Particularly when he is blackmailing another new character, Kane, played by Donnie Yen. He's wearing this red like jacket that with these like frills like on the shoulders. Like it is pretty elaborate. I really enjoyed his character and and the philo- I mean again when you want a villain you want a philosophy and this is a guy who's rooted in the old ways but is also arrogant and uh he he brings it out in a lot of good personality traits i liked the addition of bill skarsgard uh and uh, and and so with with you get that that introduced then he's you get this other character Kane introduced Donnie Yen, who might be my favorite character of the whole franchise. <laughs> I uh, and the way he does it is phenomenal. Is that he, Donnie Yen is not blind, but his character is blind, and for him to portray 
the uh, the the rhythms and the functions and how he goes about to be an assassin in this i mean the, these are credible brutal assassins and here he is surviving almost almost like as though he is a he's he's really goofy with it uh, but but he it's how he moves is is moving with the idea with sound and leaning into it. And I really enjoyed the performance. I, I thought if anybody deserved some recognition on a performance in, uh, in the John Wick series, which a lot of it is, is just heightened and, and really silly. He is incredible in it. Uh, and so the introduction to these characters, their motivations, like the, the fact that John and him have similar Fates they 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 mirror each other in a, in a very interesting way. I mean this this evokes a lot of ideas of classic westerns like black hat white hat, but they muddy the, they're they're almost both gray hats. Like they they believe in family, they believe in their freedom, but they they really were doing it for other people. They believe in the same things, but they've landed on a different set of the rules. John is rebelling against the rules. He thinks they're unfair, and Kane he thinks they're unfair, but that's the situation he finds himself in. So I well, really well, he's still got someone who could get hurt. That's I true. Mean, I mean, a big part of the Wick character is he's got. There's nobody left. There's nobody left. Yes, right. And, so he can't. You know, he had there. They have they have no, they hold nothing over him, right? Yes. Which is why he can be who he is, exactly. And so that's why there's a propel like just a compulsion, a forward motion for Wick. That's what the whole series everyone's like laughing at how elongated the runtime for this is. But really, you have to understand like when you understand the character, that kind of fatalistic, noirish character who's got nothing to lose. Uh, and he's just got a drive to kill. I mean, it, he embodies that feeling so so well, like that hollowness. I mean, Keanu Reeves is really good at this role. He puts in a physical dedication. He puts in, uh, I think he understands emotionally the core of the character. I mean, a lot. It, it's kind of funny how monosyllabic he is and just dry, but that's that's the the mentality of the character. That's where he is, and that's that's where his motivation lies. I like the mirroring of these two characters, their philosophies, where they're landing, and what they value. And right in the middle, even in, in the first hour, they also introduce another new character with Hiroyuki Sonata um, as a friend, the manager of the Osaka branch. And he, is, I mean, he brings another layer in context about like what do you value in this world? Is it the rules? Is it the is it money and and the whole movie is actually having an interesting confrontation with it you know because it's a world reduced by money it's a world reduced by by positions to sacrifice bonds and friendship and family for just a, a, a you know a couple million dollars more you know for a few dollars more i mean this is that's got spaghetti western written in its dna in this movie and i like that that character is like, no, I value my daughter and I don't want her to die, but I'm not going to sell out my friend in order to do that because I have I have principles, I have rules and friendship. I've known this man longer than my daughter's been alive. There's, I, I like that they can introduce these layers, these details, these new characters, and it informs the whole context of the movie. And I like that this movie builds up to an idea that you even have the this new assassin, Mr. Nobody. Like, again, you're introducing all these new characters in Chapter 4, and they give more vibrancy to the, ta- the the tapestry of the movie because one is like, no, I believe in more money. It's, it's worth more for that. And then his values get sort of turned upside down because he sees it in action a different way, a different way of valuing the world and other people in life. 
I like that. I like that the that that ingrained in this this heightened action spectacle experience, which it is. I mean, there's three to four set pieces that you could say are largesse, you could say are indulgent. I like them because there's such quietness throughout this movie. Like it's three hours and there's actually a lot of downtime with character. This is why I think I liked it a lot more uh, than than some of the others. Like the others were really like they were tethering the set pieces together. You know, some characterization was good. You know, Halle Berry brings a lot of interesting aspects to it. And the third one, same with Angelica Houston. But I feel like this one, when they had the downtime, it was about what do these characters want, believe, and what do they value? And in a world that determines them in a certain way. And I really liked it. I really liked it. Like, I, I'm not going to go say that this is a movie that changes your life or it's a, a master, uh, I'm, but it's a masterpiece in its own way. I think it's an action masterpiece. I, th- I think uh, in, in relaying its character to action and to intent and drive uh, and then count, contrasting them with uh, numerous characters throughout, I think it's a great movie. I agree. I think it's great. I think it's great. Well, I wanted to give you some runway because this this is you know you you were uh, you you sort of proclaimed yourself a big fan of the the franchise, and I wanted to give you some runway on it. And I think you did a really good job of capturing a lot of what is great about it. Yeah, and I think it is great. I think it's absolutely a great film. Right, and it, it's so great. That at times I found myself getting sort of weirdly emotional in the uh-huh. movie. Yes, yeah. Because it's just so, it's such a compelling, not for like story reasons, but for cinematic reasons, which is maybe the highest praise I can give to a movie, is that I, I found myself moved by its um, its cinematic quality, by its cinematic vigor, by its cinematic, its commitment to cinema as a way of expressing something. Yeah, yeah. Right, which, and this goes back to, there's a lot of different threads I think we could tease out. There's a lot to say about this. The people in the entertainment industry wonder about how to get people to go to the movies to care about the movies. (laughs) Well, one way that you could get people to go to the movies, you get them to care about movies, is to make movies. Right, to make actual movies. Make movies that actually have something cinematic on offer. Yes, exactly. Right, and... For the movie industry for a long time, what that seems to have meant to them is to make special effects movies. Like, that's the thing that should draw people into the theater. It's something that's going to be more spectacular on a big screen. That's going to bring you something on a big screen that will be um, more overwhelming or interesting or aesthetically pleasing and I mean, there's, it's not that that's exactly incorrect, right? There is something about the creation of spectacle that translates onto the big screen. But it, that's, that's, that's maybe the beginning or what that is is a real vulgar notion of what it is that makes something truly cinematic in a compelling way that makes you want to leave your house and go into a dark theater. Yeah. Now, I think all movies basically benefit from that. Even movies that are not, you know, even the movies that we see that run in 10 theaters and uh, get on a streaming service in three weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. That we can see because we live in L.A. that nobody else can see outside of New York or L.A. at a movie theater, right? We, get, we, we see movies like that, yeah. right? I think those two benefit from being seen in a theater. I'm, I'm in agreement. Right. I, I do. Agree. We believe in the magic of the cinema. 
in a way that is maybe anachronistic or romantic or whatever. <laughs> but when I think about a movie like John Wick or Avatar 2 or Everything Everywhere All at Once, these are movies that believe in cinema in some way and are buoyed by that belief. Like they believe in creating a kind of cinematic experience that is encompassing and um, very, that sort of penetrates somewhere very deep into your consciousness. Like this feels like a dream, right? It has a dreamlike quality to it. You talked about world building. That's an important part of it. It's it, this, this movie is transportational, yeah. right? In a way that, uh, this rash of Marvel movies and Shazam is a Marvel movie, whatever name is on the front of it. These are just like souped up TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's all they are. They're souped up TV shows and they have special effects in them, but they are not, you know, this is why, this is why we always come back to Lynch because Lynch is in some ways the most cinematic. He wants to penetrate someplace very deep into yeah. your consciousness, which think with things that are going to kind of bend your mind. Yeah. Right. That are really seeking to, to, and, and like you said, like what it's about, I mean, it, it's not, it's not about it being about something. It being about something can, can be or not be important part of that. That's true. Movies can have like thematic messages that are or not, that do or don't contribute to them being cinematic in the way I'm talking about. But this this desire to sort of show you a way of seeing that is that is personal, that is specific, that is unique and transportational, and kind of gets in your brain and is like like really kind of orders the way you see, yeah, right. I mean, that is cinema, yeah, right? You think about uh, going back to, you know, you think about iconic images from anything, from Citizen Kane, from whatever movies you love, right? They're, they have this way of seeing that is compelling. And, um, and that's what this movie has. And that's yeah. what it makes it, that's one of the things that this movie has. And that makes it cinematic. And it shows a... Um, a reverence for the medium and a belief in the medium as being transformational, right? You say it's not transformational. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of transformation we could talk about, right? But as being aesthetically compelling in a way that, um, that captures and embodies what is beautiful or wonderful about cinema. Yeah. Right. Why we go to the theater, right? That this movie has that. And that is something that, for me was was moving yeah. right it's moving to see something that is i mean when we talk about the movies that move us right uh it's like they 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 are they are informed by a belief in this medium right and in its power and potential yeah. right as a very particular kind of thing that's not just part of this amorphous um, notion of visual media that can encompass everything from, you know, a soap opera that runs for a million years to a TikTok video, right? Yeah. All these things get folded together, yeah, right, in a, some sort of a vulgar way, right? That does not, um, that does not sort of 
capture what is compelling or beautiful. Yeah, and the, I I'm in total agreement. You're using some descriptions that. I think put into context what I really do love about this series and what I love about cinema in general and what 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 has been the most effective movies in my past is is something of the subconscious something of dreams Absolutely. something Absolutely. where where this is a reality that is familiar but ra- you know extremely distinct and different from reality which which I think I think shows you why Marvel movies land so hollow it's because they're trying to evoke that there's some there's somebody special in our normalcy and the normal fabric and 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 so that when people don't necessarily act the way that you think that they will there's a dissonance there's a disconnect this movie avoids that by by operating and putting you so thoroughly embedded into an alternate reality, which is again that's transportational, as you said. I like that is a hundred percent why I was committed from the very beginning from this series is that this is a movie that knows it's operating on cinematic influence, subconscious. It's it it, it, it operates in a realm of like heightened wish fulfillment and in a sense of action and vengeance and feelings that operate in that that realm it also operates in a some some realm of absurdity you when you said lynch it's funny because i think that there is one set piece in this film that is absolutely lynchian it is one of the strangest action sequences and uh dynamics i've seen in any movie and it's when he when john wick is trying to get his crest back and goes to go after Killa Harkin, the German guy, <laughs> that scene where they're playing poker against, you know, it's it's Mr. Nobody, uh, Kane, John Wick, and Killa, and it is so weird. It is it that, it's, that, it's, that it's like, that's like out of a Frank Miller comedy. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so Frank strange. Miller meets Lynch meets like like somebody who like saw a James Bond movie and was fucked up, right? Like this is because it is kind of has some Bond shit to it. Where it like, does. of course you're gonna play poker. Like, of course you're gonna just sit around and talk with with this dude. You know, yeah. of course you're just gonna hang out with Goldfinger or whatever, right? And they got some great lines where where he says, "I'm one bullet away from being a rich man." He goes, well, "Maybe one bullet away from being a dead man." Like you know, <laughs> and it's it it's simple, but it gets it's so effective because again, it's about convincing you that you're in this world you're you're amongst these assassins this this realm of assassins this world where there's hotels that protect them and keep that you know they have their own currency i love it every little detail that filters in that there's 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 12 people at a high table who determine all the rules and there it's there's a level of unfairness and hierarchy even amongst uh, people who are the best at what they do, they're still the kind of exploited workers as you 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 welcomely put all the time. It's like actors are like the most the, the yes. high end of the exploitation. Here yes. they're kind of venturing that out is that yeah, the managers the managers are an administrative class, but they're still at the expense of what is determined above. And I like that because you feel that that that, that is the heaviness of and I I'm I was I was curious where it was going to go for chapter four because it felt primed for war it felt and and there's there's potential for that to happen we'll talk about the end but uh because it's ambiguous and they've said it's ambiguous uh but 
and it leaves it open yet yet also closes it in an interesting way i i think it, it could be go either way depending on wh- who wants to venture it if if keanu reeves wants to continue and if uh, chad sahelski wants to continue the story but i i th- there is still an unfairness and inequity in this world that you're feeling constantly and, and that's kind of a uniting factor that's what kind of brings the people who are initially antagonists to each other, like Lawrence Fishburne's character, on board with him. It, it, like Winston is self-preservation, but he's also a friend, and he also is like, no, this is unfair. I follow the rules, and like the rules are good, but like we need to have a balance and uh, a sense of self. And that's what brings on, um, you know, uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, you know, Shimazu Koji at at the Osaka branch. You know that that there is a awareness that things are not like just because things are that that's how they should be and john is this kind of propulsive figure trying yeah. to mend that and i like that it it, it is a it, it's like he here is somebody who who was exploited and used and he found a way to be free and i mean that that impetus that that feeling is being translated. We all feel that at various points in our life. We feel what John feels, but it's taken to a heightened level. Yeah. That's the cinematic quality that you're talking about. Well, yeah, about. and, and, and it, that makes for great pastiche, right? Because yeah. it becomes, at one level, kind of a meditation on the whole, whole mafia, yakuza, like honor amongst thieves idea, where what does that really amount to? Yeah. What yeah. happens when that sort of gets perverted? But yeah, at the end of the day, what's the marquee? The marquee is just like a new, like, high-level manager who comes in with a new plan. Yeah. It's like, you've got this problem, and you've tried other ways to solve it, but I got a brilliant idea. You you give me the power, you know, you give you let me be in charge, and I'll solve your problem but he's for also, you. And he's also indicative of, like, the tradition, the old ways, because he's basically saying, this has happened because we've allowed it to happen, because nobody's following the rules anymore. So now we have to be even strict, even stricter about the enforcement of it. And it, it, there, there's an irony to that, you know, because it, and they they lace it in with overt, uh, you know, declarations and overt dialogue. Sure, this is not like this is not poetry, but I like that there there's a directness because it's operating on that kind of heightened, exaggerated dream state. Because he comes to see the marquee, Winston comes to see the marquee to deliver that he's going to be the second to deliver the idea of the 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 duel. And there's the painting of the warning of 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 uh, totalitarianism, authoritarianism, like you know, it it, it uh, about dicta- being a di- in a dictatorship. Great locations, man. Oh my Fucking god, a. the Louvre, Sacré-Cœur, right? It's all around they, Paris. The, the pa- Paris is utilized in such a grand scape oh, in this movie. Oh yeah, I mean, it's just. I mean, yeah, Osaka looks great. Paris looks great. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, just just the. I mean, talk about like really knowing like what you're working with and kind of um, making perfect decisions about locations and yeah. settings and things like that. Well, and and, and that, that it, everything's combined here. I mean, it is an aesthetically beautiful movie. I mean, they know how to shoot these cities. They know how to uh, capture the, the costuming and the look of these worlds in all of their distinct variations. Every, Berlin looks distinct, but yet part of the world. Paris looks distinct, yet part of this world. Like it, they know how to immerse you into the feeling of these places so effectively, and then at the same time, 
the choreography, the brilliance of its actions, the set pieces. Again, uh, I'm priming up to do a season on musicals. And a lot of people have been a little iffy about it, but like musicals inform everything about this movie. Every, everything yeah. about its preparation it's it's the camera movements the choreography this is music this is a musical like it and it's glorious at that well and a screen musical too which is an important distinction right like what is it about putting something on film right that is and projecting it on a screen having this frame right where you control what we see Mm -hmm. and what comes in and out of it right that's that's, I mean, it's just basic shit, right? It's the shit we all <laughs> yeah, know, yes. right? We all know on some level that that's what movies are about. But you know, knowing knowing what they're about and being able to do it effectively, obviously, is kind of you know the difference between lightning and a lightning bug, right? I mean, it's it's very. I mean, one thing I want to talk about is this idea of world building because I think that like what I'm saying about John Wick, right, is that it understands movies and what's good about movies and one thing i think it understands better than almost any movie i've seen recently is cinematic world building which is distinct from other forms of world building right because the point of good cinematic world building is not that it is comprehensive right could you write like a series like like a lord of the rings style series of novels about the john wick universe i'm not sure if you could or couldn't Mm -hmm. Because I'm not sure if you started to scratch at the thing how that it could sustain kind of novelistic yeah. narrative. Yes, yeah. Right? But that's what people think about when they think about world building, right? Or at least that's one way people think about world building. And I think part of the, this is actually part of another part of the problem with some other cinematic projects, right, that are, that are serialized projects like the Marvel Project is that at some point with enough interlocking pieces um, – you need different kinds of world building that may be inconsistent with the pro with the initial project, right? There's a reason that you can make season after season and not all of it's good, but you can make season after season of star Trek content. Yeah. Whereas it's very much harder to make extra star Wars content and they have failed more often than they've succeeded outside the bounds of the original movie trilogy. It's because the original Star Wars trilogy understood the concept of cinematic world building about as well as any film ever, yeah. right? Which is that it's about atmosphere and visual and and sort of creating a visual grammar that is very compelling and a bit mysterious, right? Mm. That makes you want to know more. Yes. You want you want to more know more about Mos Eisley. Yes. Now, does that mean that you'd want to like create a map of and a, like an idea of most Eisley as a place that you could write a like a long sort of fantasy or science fiction novel about well you could do that but that's a different kind of thing that re- requires the creation of a different kind of infrastructure yeah. right to support like an intricate political story about the relationship between Jabba the Hutt and like other factions in in you know, and you could do that, but that was not the project that George Lucas was engaged in, and no. Ralph McQuarrie, the you know the guy who did the concept art, which informed so much of Star Wars. It's about this high impact visual stuff that is memorable and interesting and compelling, and you love to look at it, and it's and it's mysterious and intriguing. Like you want to know more, they leave you wanting 
more. Yes. Like, I don't know what those women in that steampunk office are doing in John no, Wick. But they got a uniform but, but and they, they look operate. awesome <laughs> and it looks cool. They look sexy and cool and their whole area is cool. And you're like, man, I want to know more. Yeah. Now, now, could you write a novel about what those people are doing? I don't know. It would take a lot of different kinds of work to create the kind of superstructure that would allow you to talk about them for 500 pages. But that's not the point. Yes. The point is to create something that you're like, I want to go there. Yes, yeah. Like, I have some sexual desire, some sort of sexual or quasi-sexual, this hunger. Like, that is so cool and compelling to look at. I want to go into the Mos Eisley Cantina. I want to go into that room where these people are hanging out and just kind of hang out and see what it's like in there, where they're broadcasting the bounties for John Wick and doing their their cool, sexy radio show. I want to be there. Which which is a great homage to the warriors like a hundred percent they even use the same song they use the same framing it's great uh you know because they that that's them again getting to a feeling that you're talking about because when you see moss eisley especially the cantina which it's it's layered with creatures and designs and aliens that that you're like yes it provokes something of interest. You're like, that. that is interesting. What is their story? The, obviously, everyone here has their own story. And that that is the foundation to essentially the novel universe, that the extended universe that George Lucas essentially allowed to happen with people writing novels about these characters. And it wasn't, it wasn't to your point about getting into kind of a Tolkien-esque detail of how things are operating what are the dynamics between these worlds and what do they thematically mean no it was about like giving a backstory to this particular character and how do they end up in this moment and how how are they there or where do they go from this moment it is about letting the world and how it feels operate first and foremost and then the characters respond to it and and i you know hearing that that is where the success of cinematic world building comes into play. It's specific enough in its nods and intentions, but it allows a wide breadth of interpretation, which is a hard thing to land on. Like a lot of people go go more, a lot of people don't bother, you know, actually investing and creating a dynamic, interesting, unique sort of world, uh, you know, that that you can be uh, fully immersed in. And then on the other end, some people get too specific, and so then you start to get hyper-focused on whether it makes logical sense. This, is, this movie is not interested in, in that. Like, when, if you get really into the overt details, some things might actually uh, be paradoxical or not really mesh in a, in, a, in, in a complete sort of uniform sense, but it's the world that makes uniform sense. And, and as you, as you go through it, it's slickness, it's feeling, it's, it's textures. You just, yeah, you yeah. want to be there. You want to be part of it. You want to wear those suits you, or you want to be in those kind of places like that. That is the feeling. It well, and there's a real tension yes. between yeah. these two kinds of world building. I mean, I grew up watching Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Star Trek The Next Generation. Buried very deep in my, in my subconsciousness. I don't know that there's ever been a... I don't know that any of those Next Generation movies are what we would call great. I mean, some of them are better than others. Yeah, I like I First Contact, I like... But, I, but I don't... But the point is that a thing that's good in one... In like, we're talking about television and, and film, which are pretty close media, right? Uh, you know, across the scope of visual media and storytelling media. But sometimes I think we've lost the distinction between them. 
and one, something that's good as one might not be good as another. Yeah. Yes. Right. I mean, of yeah. all the Star Trek movies that have ever been made, I mean, how many of them would we call great? I think Wrath of Khan is great. I think that's a great film. Yeah. Like, and I think that holds up. And I think even if you didn't know Star Trek or care about Star Trek, you could watch Wrath of Khan and think, well, this is a really compelling, yeah. interesting movie. Absolutely. I, li- I like Voyage Home. That's a fun movie. That's like the one Voyage with the whales. Home. I do like Voyage Home. Uh, the, uh, the, the, that was my the, favorite when I was younger. The evens of the original Star Trek movies yes, are yes. actually quite good. Famously, the people like the evens. They don't like the odds. <laughs> um, but then after that, I mean... There there were aspects of particularly the first movie in the reboot that I liked. There were parts of that that Star Trek that I enjoyed. Parts, um, yeah. I like I like I think the first half of it is quite good. Um, you know, but like like most movies these days, the first half, the setup, if it's done well, yeah. okay, it, it's it 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 can sustain for a for a lukewarm second half which is usually they're they're all very transposed they're all very predictable yes yeah i think i think they know they know how to do like the they've gotten better at doing like the fun parts uh-huh. of like bringing people together putting the team together like i think they're better at that than like having a compelling resolution that just doesn't feel completely paint by numbers um or that like like we know You know, the, the trick to all these movies is we kind of know how they're going to resolve, right? Yes, yeah. It's like Tarantino says about Kill Bill. I knew she was going to kill Bill. We all know she's going to kill Bill. How do you get there? What twists and turns does it take along the way till that inevitable conclusion? Um, like, can you have a moment where which, Donnie which, Yen's character shows up and they fight together? After throwing him down the stairs twice, they fight together to go up those stairs. I, I do have to say, uh, I've never felt so much pain for John Wick's, uh, you know, journey forward. Like his brute force, uh, he's unstoppable. Really, I mean, he is an unstoppable force. Or if you stop him, he just keeps coming. Like I thought, maybe for a second, he wasn't going to go. Was 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 it was it? Uh... What's the fame? Is it Exorcist where they throw the guy down the stairs? He, he throws himself down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been to those. They're in Georgetown. Yes, they I've, are. I've yeah. been to those stairs. Yeah, very famous. Uh, they do it to him twice. They do the stairs twice. <laughs> twice. Oh, and which incidentally is the number of takes you, you, the, the number of takes the guy who did the stair thing in Exorcist said. I can give you two. I Don't have, ask oh me to do more God. than two. The, the, de- <laughs> the detail. If you really pay close attention to the stunt work. In that stair sequence, not only of the person who is John, because uh, I'm pretty sure it's not Keanu Reeves going down of these various flights of stairs, which is just brutal. It's it's brutal. The sound design's brutal, but there's guys who he'll sh- he'll like shoot or throw a knife at, and they'll f- start f- tumbling and then get on their feet at one point to get another hit. And I was just so impressed. <clears throat> Chad Stahelski has been uh, very outspoken about the academy recognizing stunt work and i think i mean if i mean obviously there's a variety of stunt work to be had in television film across the board that's not as impressive as this but is worthy of recognition just as an art form because a lot of people put their bodies and souls into this kind of work but my goodness what what a grand spectacle of stunt work this this all is and i think that i mean that's just goes without saying everyone knows it everyone intrinsically knows that while watching it that's what makes it so impressive the wide shots that allow 
the the action to breathe and to watch the choreography and the work be shown. There's no cheats here. I mean, there's some cheats. There's some CGI cheats. There's some uh, transitional cheats. <clears throat> but a lot of this is physical work. I mean, I it's just so impressive watching everybody and there and then they allow particular people to have very uh unique ways of how they move their bodies. Again, this is all very musical. They it's it's all very propulsive in their body movements and it's like a dance. John has a very uh, you know, Keanu Reeves as John has a very particular way of moving. Same with Donnie Yen, like I said earlier, Donnie Yen being like kind of a goofy pantomime performance as a blind person but it is it is so effective like how he moves around and feels and he puts like uh door ringers like around to brilliant like, it, it's it, brilliant i mean he yes he he's his work in this is is as good as sort of in terms I of mean, just pure like martial arts movie performance the way he moves the way he embodies that character is a, is amazing he's a 60 year old man and is he, amazing, and he's amazing. And uh, maybe he'll, maybe he'll be next year's Michelle Yeoh. Maybe maybe we can get this guy in a war. He's really, I mean, uh, as a martial artist, he is probably the most one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive. I mean, if you really go deep into his career, the Ip Man series or whatnot, but he is an yeah, incredible martial artist. It's, it's one thing to be able to do it well; it's yes. another thing to be able to create an entire physical grammar for yes. a, for a dude. To do who is who has a limitation that you do not have. Yes, exactly. Right. It's so impressive. And famously, he is known for paying personally. I think out of pocket, uh, other stunt performers who he is in a scene with, such as the people that like in that uh, kitchen sequence, where it looks like he's really punching them. I'm pretty sure he is. I think he pays them under the table more money so that he can really punch them because uh, he that he wants it to be really effective, and he he will really get I punched mean, too. I mean, but even that scene where he's eating the soup, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just shit like that. Just little things, right? Yeah, that's the other thing. That's just one another one of the things that this movie understands is just these little touches. Yeah, these little flourishes, right? Like the poker scene. Yeah, with a guy who who actually does look a little bit like. To Refer, to make reference to another science fiction movie because in some ways this is a science fiction movie. The bad guy in the poker scene does look a little bit like Baron Harkonnen. He has Baron Harkonnen energy and his name is something like that. Hark, he, Hark, Harkin or... Uh, Killa Harkin. Killa yeah. Harkin. So he has a very... He, he could be Baron Harkonnen in a, mean, another version of he, Dune. He reminded me of characters that are in like Frank Miller's Sin City. Like he, oh, he yeah, is he's very, so he is, exaggerated. It's funny you got Sin City sitting right yeah, here. Yeah, sitting so, right um, there. I mean, he reminds me of like a Dick Tracy character, like but, but in a more insidious and noirish light. But he is so exaggerated in his features. Uh, also another... Uh, he is uh, Scott Adkins. He is a, another martial artist. I mean, talk about giving some... Yeah, Flair big and, boys get some run in this. We got some big boys. Fighting. He's not that big, but so it's a suit. But he's he's. But you got the sumo guys get a moment, and then he, he, he big bo- big boys getting some fighting moments in here. They they are utilizing their their attack. Yeah, they're they're showing that that he was quite capable, even though he was bigger. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 showing an embrace of a lot of what this world can offer and what our world can offer too. I mean, it's the the th- threat and physical prowess can be anywhere and it's uh i i mean i love it i love the the stunts i love the set pieces and they're they're they are absolutely indulgent in the best sort of way because again what is going to convince people to come to the theater uh, it it has to be 
you know, at, at, at I know that we like a short movie because we value things, but other people are looking at the the bang for their buck kind of thing. And they're going, well, three hour movie of just pure, like a pure action spectacle. I'm willing to pay more for that than like an hour and a half of like, I, I was nothing. in, I was in a packed theater last night. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, to, it's doing very I well. See the Dolby. I want to see it in the Dolby, the Thomas Dolby theater. Well, very nice. Well, I always go to the Dolby because we, you know, we, we have a list or whatever. You and I both have a list. Oh, yes. I'm like, I might as well go for the most expensive one. I went prime. So you went yeah, prime. I went see, prime. I, I go all the way every went, time. I always go with the most expensive option. I, I, I was going for if it's ti- a 20, time convenience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a maximizer, I guess. No, and it, and it does. I mean, this is a movie that maximizes what you want out of it. And so it, yes, it's indulgent. It's over the top. Some of them are drawn out, but I, I just was, there's something so fascinating about it. Honestly, I love it. Honestly, the only one that felt drawn out to me was the first one in Osaka. That's true. That's the only one where I was like, we're really letting this one run for a long but time. But again, it, the it, rest of, that's the only one where there was a moment where I thought like, okay, like we've, we've done one too many sequences where it's just him shooting a bunch of dudes yeah right like let's well, get, let's it, get to the let's get to the boss fight it here also you're right you're right it also has shades and when we were re-watching the three katie said her least favorite sequence was when the continental gets raided by just straight up uh swat team uh, yeah. you know and that's what happens in osaka is like that it just draws it out but again it it allows it for some touches some adaptive touches of showcasing again technique skill yeah keanu reeves uh, utilizing the nunchucks is one of my favorite things once you get the the nunchucks in that's good right that's the thing is it works because that you keep upping the ante right you keep like well let's give him a different weapon let's get i'm just saying there, there was a moment in that sequence where i was like okay because because there are details that are stretched out a little too much. Yeah. No, and I do agree. But, but there's still a lot of great moments in that sequence. Yeah, like the shit with Donnie Yen, particularly with the like the doorbell ringers and shit. Like once he gets into it, that shit's I, great. My jaw dropped when again because because it's a variety of of action. There's there's hand to hand, you know, sword to sword, gun to gun. I mean, it's showcasing everything that that is impressive about it. But my jaw dropped in its cinematic touches. When he's trying trying to get to the the church, and he finds himself in a an abandoned uh, uh, like hotel or abandoned building, and when the camera is hovering over yes. room to room, and he's using these in, in, um, oh in, incendiary uh, like, <laughs> like like a shotgun a shotgun with fire, fire bullets. It's, it's like um, a shotgun flamethrower. It's insane. These incendiary bullets. It is so. I, w- I was just like this. I mean, is, pe- people. Um, I, I, in my mind, applauded after that sequence. I mean, in, in my the mind, I'm just like this. Uh, while it's happening, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. this is amazing. Well, yeah, this is amazing. They understand all the ways to up the ante. They up the ante with setting the stairs. They up the ante with cinematic technique going from above. They up the ante with new weapons. Yeah. So I, I think the movie does a pretty great job. They up the ante by doing like a kind of car chase fight sequence. I think the movie generally does a great job of giving you different iterations of the way that you can do this kind of cinematic action. Yes. I'm just saying, like, my only criticism is that somewhere in that sequence, I felt like I'd seen one too many moments of just him taking on dudes with guns. Yes. Yeah. Right. Which, but I mean, still, obviously, a beautiful setting, beautiful, very compelling 
that was just the only one where I, I found myself just squirming a little bit they, in my they, seat, they, being like, they okay, let's, cut let's it, get it moving. And this, yeah, they could have cut it down just But that's like bit. maybe five minutes that didn't need to be yeah. in there, right? Yeah. Or, or something like that. And, and and that's a pretty minor quibble yes. in the grand scheme of like a, a three-hour movie that I was, was basically locked in for the Especially whole time. Especially because that's like... The first action set piece, you're like, okay, this is a it goes a little long. It might make you worry for how they're going to handle it later. But for three hours, I mean, this movie does breeze by. I mean, it it is thrilling, it is engaging, and it's because it it is about knowing where to up the ante and where to take it back down. Because the finale is quiet. The finale is mano a mano, and just old fashioned. You know, dueling and you know, homage done. to your your beloved Barry Lyndon, right? We get exactly, a, we get, we yeah. get pistols, pistols, uh, and and I, I think guys it, who maybe don't want to kill each other pl- plays out in a in a more favorable way, but but similarly, where you know the rules uh, uh, end up in the person's favor in this one. Barry Lyndon famously, you know, it's like he doesn't engage, but then it's like uh, it, it's to his detriment yeah. at, at the very end because the bitterness has just soaked in. But here, it 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 is meant to entice and bring it. I you get the feeling that they're being very precise with how they're shooting each other. Like they both shoot each other in the in the shoulder. They both shoot shoot each other. You know, it, it's very quick, but they're very good. And so it, it almost feels as though they've built up to to uh, you know changing hands for for themselves. I mean, it is a it is a great applause worthy, uh, you know success at the end and i i really enjoyed how they built up to it because it is again it's in link with character they've introduced that character and they expose his arrogance they expose his ways his cowardice in a lot of ways and uh it's 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 worth it it's worth it to get to that finale and watch it because it's these two characters who don't want to be doing this but they're doing it anyway and they use it to their advantage to to get the upper hand, which I love. You you love you love to see it, you know, especially because it's so punishing. I mean, this is he's like he's the assassin Jesus Christ. He's just getting punished and punished. He's yeah. going through the stations of the cross, just just getting pummeled, beaten, thrown downstairs to the point where he's like, I just don't think I can do it again. And then it, it takes it takes someone carrying the cross yeah. for him, really, and it's to, a, to get him it's up. It's a testimony to the the cinematic quality of the work and to Keanu Reeves. Yes. Let's spare a few words for Keanu Reeves. He's amazing. That you do feel in that moment he might not do it even though you know he's going to do it. I, which is great. That's what's... And you think, well, maybe they've got a twist in mind. Like, maybe he doesn't do it, but something else happens. Yeah. But and then you know he's going to do it. You know they're going to have the showdown. They have to have the showdown. Yeah. It has to happen. Right? The fact that he makes you in the, in the, the, the whole filmmaking process, the direction, the editing, the cinematography, his acting all make you feel like maybe he's not going to do it mm-hmm. like that that is that's as much movie magic as anything here to make you I believe agree. that a thing to make you feel you know every time you watch romeo and juliet you think maybe this time they won't do the thing yeah it's a great story it it's is compelling it's a compelling story well and then and, it, and again it it deepens this idea of the complexities of the character not only of him it, like we've seen him succeed 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 and to have a moment of of doubt is is seldom what you see in the character and he i mean he sells it and then with kane who is this mirror image of himself to come in and be like you're gonna get up those stairs and i'm gonna help you like i'm gonna get you up there too that it there's something so 
I, I, cathartic about that. It it really shows you that these characters in this world operate operate in the gray for sure in a kind of moral sense, but their dedication to like each other is really rewarding because yeah. like, you know, I, I really like that about these films is that you, you get, you get these ideas of characters who are trying to just survive and get by. And really they, when, when there's an awakening moment that they, they, they're because they're all going through it. If they just help each other in just a minor, minor ways, uh, there's, there's a lot to be gained in that, and, yeah. and that's what's really great. Yeah, and you've also identified another way which this movie levels up a little bit from the previous ones is that it does have these characters, Kane, Mr. Nobody, that are a little more grounded yes. and whose motivations yeah. seem a little more accessible to us. Yes, very much. So in a way, they kind of they kind of uh, anchor the movie and give it a little bit more emotional heft, right? Because we can relate to these characters, these characters who have somewhat more... Um, prosaic motivations right trying to protect their kid trying to make enough money to like get out right or buy a nice house or feel secure or whatever and their performances are um good are good and are more grounded right they they have they have a kind of uh emotional range to them that that um that wick purposely does not have right because he is this tortured Christ, Christ, you know, meets um, the man with no name type character, <laughs> is, yeah. right? Who is, who is doing something different, right? Yeah. Who is serving a different cinematic purpose. But like I said, you know, good on Keanu Reeves, right? Who has, oh, yeah. who has probably undergone one of the sort of great cinematic transformations in my lifetime from being kind of the butt of a joke. Oh yeah, right? oh, for, for many many years to, to being. Um, you know, being a movie star is about understanding your appeal. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, I feel like there was a time when being someone who was uh, clearly acting sometimes, it felt like, watching them on the screen, C.E.G., uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh-huh. was somehow valued more than being kind of dialed in on what exactly it was about you that was that was there for the movie for sure and i think that that has changed i mean keanu reeves is like someone who very clearly understands what he's there to do Mm -hmm. oh no 100 percent. and and does it like i said in a way that's really i mean to like to get that moment where you're really not sure he's gonna do it like in your head you know but in your heart you feel it (laughs) That's that's really good work. If you had told that's me, really good work. If you had told me that Keanu Reeves would be known for something other than be, like being known as Neo, he's John Wick. He's John Wick more than he's Neo to me. Like, well, he, I mean, those movies. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the problem with the Matrix, right? Is yeah, I mean, it didn't continue very well. You know, it, it's like the first one is amazing. Yeah, the then, the first one is iconic, and then something happens. It, it dwindles. Like it, it just the funny just, thing happened on the way to the forum. That it did. With, it. Uh, it wasn't zero mustel. No, was, they, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, a a, uh, a CGI zero mustel would have been no stranger than <laughs> some of the decisions made in the. In revolutions in, in, and uh, in, the, in the subsequent Matrix properties, yeah, I mean it. It is it is unfortunate because it 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 you know the Matrix is amazing, but uh, it 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 landed him in a kind of cinematic 
box at that time. And I don't know if he, he tried desperately to break out. There were many years where he was doing some samurai sort of movies. I think he did 47 Ronin. And they don't land. They don't land because, for a variety of reasons, it's either people weren't ready for that, that, that kind of setting. Maybe they just weren't very good. But he's doing these martial arts, and he builds up, and he's doing John Wick and leaning into what he's capable of because he knows he's put in the training. He does it like he, he is very good with, I mean, it's so impressive to watch him reload weaponry and because he's really doing it. But, but he brings a certain, like his ability to bring a certain very specific kind of earthiness and pathos to a character like this. I love the fact that they have him hold up his jacket all the time to protect his face because yes. it looks awkward. Yeah. Like, it looks awkward, and it stands in contrast to a lot of the other things. And it's a real smart little decision, right, that gives the character like, – he's protecting himself. He's not – um. he wants to live, and he wants to protect himself. And it's not all just about the artistry of how he moves. So they have him do this one thing that is very awkward. And strange, And yeah. doesn't look like – fluid or cool it looks kind of scared and weird and awkward because nobody holds their jacket up in front of their face it's the most unnatural gesture you could imagine yeah and it it gives a kind of a a a herky jerky quality some of the things that he does that actually uh augments and throws into relief the other things that are more balletic about what's going on yes right so these little decisions right it's funny you bring up the matrix though because the matrix to me is perhaps one of the greatest examples of being wrong about what's interesting about what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. Right. Because what happens with the matrix is that it seems to me that the Wachowskis start to get high on their own supply and think that there is something profound that needs to be explored about this thing that they've created that needs to be explored in more explicit detail then the first one has the opportunity to do. Like the point is that it looks cool and it's compelling and mysterious and interesting. Yeah. Right. It's like what um, the Will Ferrell character in that one movie says about my humps. Like it's provocative. (laughs) Who knows what it means? It's provocative. It is. Yeah. Right. Like who knows what this shit means? Like I said, if you were to scratch at it and try to write like a series of novels about John Wick, which I'm sure has been pitched and thought of, because there is nothing new There's under TV the sun. shows being pitched. I think they're doing the Continental. And the, you I know, mean, I, and some it. of this shit might be good, and some of it might not be. Jazz yeah. with Star Wars. I mean, we've spoken praise of Andor, right? Like, yeah. good things can come out of these extensions. Like, you know. like, but what is being created is, in some sense, superficial, and I don't mean that as an insult. Yeah. Because there's a lot of thought that has to go into it to make it visually coherent and compelling and interesting and sexy. That's not nothing. That's yeah. not easy. In fact, I think that's a lot harder to do. Like the ability to dream up something beautiful out of nothing is a very is is tougher than writing down some ideas about like here's the political structure of how the table actually works, <laughs> right? Like that's a real skill. Yeah. And that's not a skill that is very widely distributed. No. But it's not the same as creating a sort of a structure that can sustain, you know, this is part of the problem. This is why Dune has been so hard to translate to cinema, right? Because what is compelling about the novel for a lot of people is this very intricate, weird story that simply does not translate very well yes. to, yeah. to, to cinema, right? 
so, so and I'm not saying things can go both ways, right? Lord of the Rings can go. You know, it's not that there's no way to do a thing that's good in both ways. That's not what I'm saying. But there are big trade-offs. Yes. And understanding those trade-offs and understanding, like, what makes the first Matrix movie great and the latter one's garbage is to understand what is cinematic and what is not. Yeah. Right? And, like, you can have something that is really awesome and compelling at two or even three hours that if you try to, like, delve into, like, what it really means or what's really going on behind the curtain – you might lose the, the plot. I agree. I agree. Right? And you, they, might, you might lose the thread. They show a level of restraint on that. They they know where to lean in onto the characters, the details, the world, where it's important and where it will matter in the, the way it propels the story forward, not necessarily in how, how we'd be interested in all the intricacies and how it all operates. Because it is just about saying that this, this is how the world is designed. How do we, how do we maneuver through it? Because the maneuvering is the interesting part. The maneuvering of ex- existing in that place is what's interesting. So, so l- let me bring it full circle to what I said yes. before, at the beginning about your comment about Shazam and John Wick. I think Shazam and John Wick are almost, in some sense, almost polar opposites, right? Yes. Yeah. And what it mirrors is a distinction that meant more when I was young, in the 90s in particular, which is the distinction between pop and rock. Pop music has gotten better. Um, since I, since the nineties, that is fair. When it was just like a polished product, right? Yeah. Like these bands, like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, were they, yeah, they were, were like created in a lab. Yeah, they were created in a lab. They were bringing them together. Like what what's going to sell uh, based off of the variety of male so, personalities and designs, and yeah, and and the the it's the about music was designed. It's about in that something way that too. is created by a bunch of people to try to bring all things to all people. Yes. Versus something that is that is very specific in its appeal and knows what its appeal is. Yeah. That's the pop rock difference. I mean, Shazam is pop and bad pop. There's good pop and bad pop. There's better pop and worse pop, right? Yes, absolutely. There's, there's, you know, it now, and now it seems like uh, Korea has sort of come up with the latest version of <laughs> the particular thing that I'm thinking of, right? With K-pop? somebody like BTS, right? Okay. Um, where it's just like perf- It's it's meant to be this sort of like a like polished like a gem. Mm-hmm. Right and just something that just everyone would be like, oh, that's that's appealing or that's nice. Mm-hmm. Versus um, something that it has a rough edge to it and it has an audience and the audience is not everybody and it's not meant to be everybody. It's not trying to appeal to everybody. Yeah. Right. Uh, that is an important distinction, right? A distinction between trying to kind of have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a, a piece of this, a dash of that, versus like, you know. This is for people who just really like garlic, right? Or something. Yes. Or this is yeah. for people like we're gonna say like, what if you really love this thing? We're gonna give it to you in the best, most refined uh, form that we can. Yeah. Right. What if you just really love guitar solos? Mm. We're gonna give you guitar. solos. We're gonna solos. give you Steve Vai. We're gonna give. We're you gonna give. Yes. We're, Steve, we're gonna. Yeah. Give, we're gonna give it to you. <laughs> right. And some people are gonna be like, "What is this bullshit?" Yeah. This is shit ain't for me. Right. That's the difference. I agree. I, oh, and and I think you've put it well because, yeah, why is this level? Because this is spectacle. I mean, it, and it's it does not hide it. I mean, it is designed to deliver uh, the adrenaline, the 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 tension, the pulsating aspects of action. Like this is a distillation of action, and it's pure. And if it goes into your bloodstream, it might kill you. Like really, I mean. So so that's why they have to parcel it out and set it up in these in these ways because it 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 
this movie is designed also to be a story. The characters and how the action is informing their drive or their reaction or their a contrast to each other. This is why I think this one might be my favorite. Uh, and, and this is not a recency bias. This is not just because I just saw it. I was engaged. No, I think they've been refining the formula. Like, yeah, exactly. I think, I think, I think, I think this, so. this movie, to me, reflects a real um, culmination yes. of an understanding of what their project is. They've been learning, they've right? Been learning. They've been learning, yeah. right? They, they've And like I said, they do some the old things well and they do some new things like i think having a couple characters that ground the movie emotionally really benefits it yes and having this this early death of a character that you might have liked and having it affect another character well we have not as said um rest in peace lance Reddick. absolutely you know, absolutely uh, who's been who's been such a profound figure not only in television and movies uh, but just like as a figure like i i knew him from like wire and lost and uh, for to to see him as a he was he was like definition of character actor, which arguably character actors are the best actors. Like they they know how to be a chameleon, yes. e- adapt to their environments, and be be unique. And um, that it's it, it was it was almost double. There, there was a double impact to watch that death. Yeah, because. Because of what just recently happened, like that, it, it in the context of the film itself, it's emotional, it's devastating, especially for Winston and and John. Like that is a friend, that is somebody who's been in the trenches with them, and and there's an unfairness to it as well. And yeah, I mean, it, 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 that that's what works. Like it, it shows you that. It's understanding of consequence and where they're going to lay it out. You know who who dies at the expense of what, and for for being honorable, for being moral, for being principled, and to show you that the 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 overarching villain of this movie is the exploitation of these of these people. As um, always, we would agree, capitalism. Capitalism, as yeah. usual, <laughs> capitalism is the problem. <laughs> But it's something we can all relate to, right? The arbitrariness of authority, the idea of exploitation and like wanton cruelty, right? Because we are all subjected um, to just sort of in our own small ways, right? To this kind of the wanton cruelty of the world. Yes. Yeah. Right? The, the arbitrary cruelty of things, right? And we can all relate to that. That's, that's, that's something... And, and a hatred for what we perceive to be unfair, right? Yes. Every, that's something that all human beings share. They might disagree about what constitutes fairness. Yes, but this this that's children have that right. Yeah. When you when you when you even small children have a very ingrained entrenched idea of what is fair. Yeah, and if their sense of fairness is violated, the sense like I played by the rules, mm-hmm. you need to play by the rules. Yeah, right. No, I I think I think this movie strikes. Uh, an incredible balance of what we enjoy. And it, it's because of all the, these details we've said, it's aesthetically cinematic. It's subconsciously cinematic. It's informed by cinema in a large, in a large way, whether it's spaghetti Westerns, whether it's uh grind like, you know, grindhouse cult movies, like the warriors, like it, it has its homage pastiche informed. And that's what makes it vibrant. It makes it re- relevant. It makes it familiar but effective 
And then on another level, it's set pieces are grand. They're musical. They're choreographed. They're, they have a body language. They have, and then within them, drama, contrast of style, character, drive. Everything's melding sort of miraculously. And, and, and as you said, I think this might be the best because they've refined it. They've refined the form. They've, they've been building up to this. And if this is where it ends, question mark? Um, I just satis- that post credit sequence. It would, sure. be, it would be a little hard. I actually did not watch the post credit sequence. I walked out. I walked out. I mean, it's not much. I know what I know what it is. Uh, but I, I, I mean, I, I, I guess whatever. I walked. I, I walked out because I wanted. I sent. I felt a sense of. Uh, it was interesting. If that's where it ended, it was peaceful. Yeah. And I wanted. I, I didn't the want credit sequence. Not peace. I didn't. I didn't want. I peaceful. didn't want to feel. I. I know what they're alluding to, and there, there's a suggestion in the framework of the movie that I saw that that could happen, and that, could, that something else can continue on that that chapter or the, something unfulfilled on that end between those two characters. But at that moment, I wanted to just feel peaceful, and so I walked out. Yeah, no, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Um, I mean, so so here's here's an interesting final thought for me sure. is that, or maybe it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, you you could decide whether it's interesting. The people listening can decide whether it's, whether it's interesting. You know, it's like a, a friend of mine's father was always uh, would always make fun of menus that would refer to something as perfectly cooked. You know, <laughs> like I'll be the judge of that. Sure, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can just you can just tell me that sumptuous right mm-hmm. uh you know don't 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 uh you don't editorialize your own uh your own offerings yeah exactly i'll do that for you <laughs> uh what there what, there's a one of the more compelling characters in the movie is a dog right we get yes. to, we get to have a dog yeah. and the dog plays an important role in the action but also kind of in one character's Transformation, transformation how they relate to each other yeah right dogs of course uh and pets you know looming somewhat large in the the john wick franchise as 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 equal parts joke but really as a as a thorough emotional line that makes sense it makes sense to a lot of people I, yeah and so one phrase that kept running through my my mind during this movie was care and feeding care and feeding being the thing you have to do for children and dogs and other things that cannot do it for themselves. You have to take care of their, their care and feeding. Yeah. Plants. Uh, this movie, I felt like, sort of showed a real concern for the care and feeding of its audience that was not cynical or based on some sort of bullshit notion of fan service or kind of yeah. giving a little bit of this to this person, a little bit of that person, a little bit of a joke here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It actually cared or seemed to me to care about the the cinematic nourishment of the people who came to this movie. I agree. Looking for yeah. that nourishment. And if you think that's infantilizing, well, I've got something bad to tell you, which is that movies are infantilizing. Yeah. Yeah. We come to them because we want to be as children. Right, we want to look at something and have it overwhelm us and take us out of all the burdens of our nuanced, difficult, quotidian, pedestrian lives. We go to the movies saying, make make me as a child. You know, make me able to have this experience yeah. that is unfettered by the fact that I need to go to the grocery store and I need to pay my bills and I need to 
deal with the care and feeding of others, right? Which is the thing that we all need to do now as adults. So, and maybe that is what I found moving about the movie is that I sensed in it a seriousness of purpose around the notion of cinema and entertainment and creating a an experience that would allow us to have that transportation. Yeah. Right? Which is precisely what, you know, the quippy uh, kind of mishmash of shit that we get from a lot of these spectacle movies does not do. It's meant, you know, a lot of this traces back to Shrek and the thing, well, we'll make a movie with like kind of inside cultural references that are appealing to adults. Shrek being the, I, I think that, that, well, that is the movie I, that changed a lot. I, yes, yeah, I mean, we've had this conversation. I think, <laughs> I think the influence of Shrek is something that we have not fully grappled with. Yeah. Like this idea that you can kind of create a thing that kind of has a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a sprinkle out a dash of this and, oh, it'll be for the kids, but also for the adults. It's like, you know, uh, you give 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 me you know I will watch um, my neighbor Totoro for the hundredth time before I have to watch another fucking Shrek movie. Mm-hmm. Give me something that's that that is for that that is for children before you give me something that is for everyone. Yeah, give me something that's for someone particular before you give me a movie that's kind of meant to be some four quadrant bullshit. Yeah, right. four quadrant thing has corrupted a lot. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm no, not saying no. that. The, I'm not saying, but it, but if it is done, like, uh, it has to be a special movie. Like uh, when I think of an actual four quadrant, quadrant movie, the movie that immediately pops into my head is a Christmas story. Like it has to be an organic thing that makes sense. It's accidentally four quadrant. Yes, because it's ac- it's, it's it is themselves. Like Christmas story is Bob Clark. It's his childhood. It's very specific, but he in doing so it becomes very universal in yeah. portraying the characters and their recognition of in the four quadrants yeah. that you can For some reason to. it's Christmas movies that are popping in my head. Home Alone is another example, <laughs> right? Like it can happen. Yes. But it's probably not going to happen by committee. No. It's probably not going to happen out of intention. Like you said it'll happen by accident. From like a great storyteller who happens to have, and I do think actually the Miyazaki movies are in our four quadrant because I do think they are children's yeah. movies that can be very appealing to adults, but they are appealing because they come to a place of from, from a place of such a deep imagination yes, yeah. that they are able to render even cynical, crusty old motherfuckers like, like Kyle us. and Ben yeah. as children again. Yeah. Now, John Wick is not a child's movie, obviously. I would not take my daughter to it. But when she's old enough, I'll I'll gladly show it to her because because it is – because – it does that. It it takes you to a childlike place where you can just immerse yourself in this thing and lose yourself in, in your it. imagination, which is something even at like a young pre you know adolescent age. The idea of gunplay, you know, which is very cinematic. Quentin Tarantino's talked effusively about how cinematic violence is gunplay is. This operates in that realm of that heightened way of like of my fascination, my imagination in that kind of world. I this is very much a wish fulfillment. Like I said earlier on, it's dream, it's wish fulfillment because it's putting you in a in an in the in the driving seat of that operation. It's it's invoking that imagination as you get to see it in its most 
sustained quality that even your own mind can't necessarily keep keep up that momentum it, and it satisfies in that way i mean this is this is an imagination this is a childlike idea for me yeah absolutely which is what you want yeah it's what we want i think that's a very good way of putting it yeah because nourishment can come from a lot of different places we 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 talk about cinematic nourishment and artistic nourishment uh, in in very highfalutin sort of ways, and you know, usually in the realm of talking about superhero movies being kind of no calorie, they are the, essentially the popcorn that you eat. There's room for that. There's room for good a, a good rendition on empty calorie entertainment. John Wick operates almost like on the protein level, like it is serving in a, a direct line for getting grand good. Uh, not maybe a, a blend of lean and fatty protein, and it, it's just really good. It's really good. We love an extended metaphor here I love on Up to Date Cinephile. It really does invite a sense that that in in the balancing act of what you can get out of art and what it can serve, this in its particular iteration is excellent in what it does absolutely and it's because it's it's dedicated to the imagination it's dedicated to its world it's dedicated to its characters what unfolds is almost effortless because it has a grand foundation and that's if you do that you will entice more and more people it might you're right this movie's not for everybody because it's obviously not you don't take your kids to um, and some people might still, um, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's not for me to say, but it is for people. I, mean, I would let a teenager see this movie. Absolutely. I let a no, no, I would let my movie. teenager see this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, my daughter is, she gets freaked out at, you know, I know we were, we were watching a, actually an animated movie. I liked that. We didn't review called Mitchell's versus the machines. The I've heard that's like, very good. It's, it's lovely. It's lovely. It, yeah. And it, and it does some sort of postmodern pastiche things that actually work. Yeah. Well, but, that's, that's but, the Miller. Lord and Miller, I think they yeah. they work very well. They do the they're they're the producers behind like uh, Spider Verse. They've done Lego Movie. Yeah, I think they 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 know yeah. what they so they so know. I mean they, they, and 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 it, they do sort of use you know one nice thing about animation is it gives you certain opportunities that you can't get any other way. Yes. And I think they utilize some of those opportunities in ways that are novel and feel a little bit postmodern of the moment, but still work. Which you know credit where credits too. I mean you can do those kinds of things. Um, if you're good at it, right? But uh, but my Carolina, she loves it when I talk about her, so I'll tell her that I talked <laughs> about her. The see, there's a, there's a she's so sensitive. She's such a sensitive, beautiful soul. Yeah. And there's a scene where a character gets nacho cheese squirted in their eyes, and she just can't stand it. It makes uh, her so yeah. upset. Yeah. I don't know if she just feels some sort of deep empathy. Like that would be really painful. In fact, she said that would really hurt. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't think she. I think she's still a few years off from your John Wicks. No, just a few um, years off. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I would show this movie to a teenager. No, absolutely. Well, and and I th- I th- I think this is a a. I mean, this is the best thing I've seen this year. I mean, this. Is, oh God, yeah. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's sort of it's praising low, with faint dams, yeah, right? I mean, but, like. But it is uh, excellent. It's uh, an excellent like, film. Yeah, what's the second best thing we've seen this year? I mean, I, I really liked Champions. I know you didn't see that. I haven't seen it yet. But, I mean, it's not, you know, it is what it is. It but is I, but I, for for an early year film experience, it was it was good. Yeah, there just really hasn't been much. But this one, I mean, as I was watching, I was like, this is excellent in how everything that they're doing and the in how they are 
building up to a new a, a new villain, how they're building up these new characters, how they're building them up to be in contrast with each other, setting John Wick up for the various tutorials and barriers and uh, the, what is at, at stake for this character that is continuously at stake, but what is this specific notion that he needs to get to? It is so satisfying. What a satisfying yeah. movie. Yeah. And this one has a more probably conclusive end. It can be that. That, like I said, I walked out weirdly peaceful because maybe John was at peace. And if that's where they end it, uh, which they can, they can carry it on in a different way. I, I just, I liked that feeling. And it, it felt so satisfying after everything that you go through, after everything that character has been through. It felt, it felt conclusive. And I really enjoyed that. Like that, that's worth it. Like that's worth going through a series of films and punishment and violence and <laughs> suffering. Like everything is, there's, there's these, there's these little catharsis. So you sound like a Lars von Trier movie. I now. know, it, but, but it is, I mean, it's constant punishment. It's constant violence. And within those set pieces, there's, there is satisfaction to be had. Yeah. It's like little satisfactions here and there, but this was a grand satisfaction of four movies that have, really pushed the boundaries of and and really tried to perfect the idea of what what is sensational and evocative about action and it's it's kind of a treatise on the genre itself and uh, about the characters what they represent in the genre they they are equal parts you know, being, you know, these abstract notions, but they're also very specific. And I like that about the, it. Remind, it reminds me of a noir in the 70s that Walter Hill did called The Driver, where none of the characters have names. It's like The Driver and The Cop. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's got Bruce Stern. It's got Ryan O'Neill. And they feel as though they're abstractions. Yeah. But they are also very specific in their philosophies and how they operate and, and their contrast with each other. That's what John Wick feels like. It, it feels like a four-movie treatise on action and what do we enjoy about it and what what are its essences in character, philosophy, and otherwise. And I think they venture it quite remarkably through four movies, but really I think this this movie kind of solidifies everything that came before it. Yeah, it's agree. really great. Agree. Go yeah. see it. Go see it in the theater. I mean, this is definitely... Oh, yeah. Go go see it. Go see it on a... Absolutely. You know, treat yourself. I am actually probably going to see it again. Wow. Yeah. yeah treat, which is tre- pretty rare Treat, treat yourself. Treat, yeah. Go out and treat yourself. Yeah. Well, I thought this was great. Uh, ben Thalen, thanks so much for making the time and doing this it's with least me. I can do. Yeah. Is, is it the least? Yeah. No, I could do less. You could do less. I could always do less. I absolutely think I could, could always do less. <laughs> but um, I guess so next week. Gotta Dun- do Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons. Gotta do it. All right. Gotta do it. I won't tell you. I'm not going to tell you a thing. We got to do it. Hope it. Hope it rolls a crit. Hope it rolls a crit in my heart. <laughs> a twenty. A twenty for fun. Twenty yeah. for fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I mean, I would take. I would take a solid. I take a solid fourteen. All right. If that's your expectation. Yeah, high enough All to right. hit a goblin. 
All right. right. That the first level, <laughs> the first level <laughs> goblin. I'll, I'll be happy. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about someone who's done D and D much longer than I have because uh, I have not even done traditional D and I've done, I've done forms of it. Uh, untraditional I've, only, only. I've done forms of the 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 kind of template, but I've never done like D and D. Well, we got to do it. Yeah, we'll no. make it. I'm, I, would I, do I it. keep threatening to run a game, so maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a we'll make, make record, your threats. Maybe present. we'll record a game, <laughs> put it on the speed. Uh, Thank you, Kyle. Your delight, as always, very attractive. It's, Thank you. It's intimidating you're to hear across ki- from you. Kind. You should subscribe to Kyle's Patreon. Uh, he knows movies and you. I know movies and you don't. Uh, which is Kyle is I. Uh, <laughs> it's not Ben. Uh, you should come to my Substack, deadreckoner.substack.com. You should read that. And you know, give give someone some money. Yeah. Uh, I got a kid. Kyle's got a cat. Give us some money. Come on. Yeah. He's he's a fur baby. Just thinking about starting OnlyFans. So. Uh, oh. So, oh, you well, know, I mean, okay, we can do the the up to date cinephile only fans and like do cal- taste, like do a calendar. Taste, tasteful. We'll keep it tasteful. Uh, you know, there's twelve months. You could do six of them. I could do six. That's of them. That's good. So. Yeah, it's, it's for, <laughs> it would be great. It'd be great. Uh, I think people would love it. Uh, but yeah, you have just have a great time, everyone out there. Have a great if day. If you listen this long, I hope you're doing great. Yeah, hope hope you're doing well, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Okay.